Fetch your earbuds and stay tuned for some pure pet care conversation. Because it's a dog's life with pet and cannabis expert Angela Ardolino. Learn the best holistic practices from top pet industry professionals and listen in on why CBD might be a whole different animal for your best in show buddy. Here's your new best friend about pets, Angela Ardolino. Hey, everybody. It's A Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino, and I am beyond honored today to have Dr. Richard Pickerin on the show with me. And if you don't know who he is, he is the original. He is the one who has been saying since, what, 1985, um, hello, nutrition is kind of important. Um, so... Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. And I can't imagine what you must feel like. And I look forward to the day where I get to have this feeling where everybody is now talking so much about nutrition and what our dogs are eating. And you're like, yeah, I've been saying this since 1985. Thank you for recognizing the issue. But now there's even more. But first, tell everybody about your journey, about, you know, mm -hmm where you've come from, you've done so much. Not only is this um, a homeopathic vet that said, wait a minute, there's so much more we could do. He uh, learned, took the time to research, research, prove what he knew to be true about nutrition without anybody's help. So I, I recognize that because I've been doing the same thing with cannabis. Oh yeah, well, I'm just gonna go over here and heal animals you know, with food, with nutrition and with cannabis, watch, this is what I'm going to do. So I can't imagine how you feel now, but guess what? There's a new thing. Everything's different. So yeah. tell us, tell us, tell our well, audience about your journey. It, I started out, <clears throat> sure. Thanks, Angela. Um, I had gone to a veterinary school and graduated in 65 at school in Davis, uh, California. And then I went into practice for a couple of years, and then I got the chance to go up to Washington State University, which is in Washington, of course. And I was on the faculty there. For a year, I taught public health and epidemiology, believe it or not. Awesome. Yeah, so I learned a lot about epidemics at that time, getting, you know, preparing talks and lectures and for the students and all that stuff. And then I went... <clears throat> Unexpectedly, I got the chance to start a PhD program. And at that time, it was uh, a good opportunity because I got an, actually got a, a small salary. <laughs> yeah, so I was able to live on it. And uh, I did that for about six years and got my PhD in uh, microbiology. Awesome. So I studied mostly viruses and the immune system. That was my, my pr primary focus. Awesome. So the reason I mention that uh, particularly is um, uh, as I was doing my, my study and research of the immune system, which is what really fascinated me uh, and how I did my PhD thesis on, was, um, uh, let me put it simply, uh, one of the things that I had, one of, the, one of the feelings I had come to was some disappointment and what I had learned in school wasn't always that effective in treatment. I was looking for something that would improve that. And when I went to school at Washington State and I was um, studying the, the immune system, then I, I realized that the immune system was very important in terms of health and recovery and so on. 
But again, through that whole program, I really didn't learn much about making it better. A lot of things about how it could go wrong. <laughs> and how to suppress it. And lots of drugs yeah, to not, suppress no, it. No, not really. That, that, okay. We didn't know. At that time, yet, it wasn't, we weren't focused on that. We were looking at understanding it and, awesome. and, and, and how to use it. But we talked about vaccines, of course. But um, I still, I wasn't finding any particular way, like, here's how you could do, here's how you could manipulate it, make it work better. And then I came across, in my, towards the end of my time there, I came across in the library an article by some doctors in Africa, they talked about how nutrition had helped children to have a better uh, response and have a better health. And that, that really excited me. I thought, oh my gosh, nutrition can affect it. So that's how oh I got started. With that. Yeah. So that's how, that's how I began an interest. And, uh, but as I, as I studied that or began to look into that, and um, it became clear I couldn't get any real research money to do that. That wasn't where it was going at that time. Where so was it going just, at the time? No, it wasn't. So I know. So what what were they concentrating on at the time? Oh, good question. Gosh, that's so long ago. That's because like it, it, uh, it really is hysterical to think that you're like, hey, nutrition could help. And they're like, ah. <laughs> no, it was just more uh, I think how probably use of drugs and things. Right. But so I decided to go back into practice and try to do that study on my own by using it in my patients, mm -hmm. which I did. And I, I actually got a job working for a veterinarian where I could advise clients about nutrition, but I couldn't carry any supplements into practice. I had to just tell them where to buy it. Which so, sounds exactly like cannabis now. <laughs> you know? so, um, so anyway, I did that for a number of years. And uh, then we came as you mentioned, our book, uh, my wife and I were asked by Rodale Press to write a book on this, which we did. That came out first one in 82. And, um, and so there was a lot of emphasis on nutrition. Well, along the way, I became interested in homeopathy. Uh, I was looking at alternative measures to treat besides what I'd learned. And that was one that intrigued me. I won't go into, I won't digress too far into that, but that's not our focus. But anyway, that's why I ended up focusing on um, uh, studying over the last 40 years was homeopathy and teaching it to other vets and so on, along with nutrition. Which thank so, you so much for doing mm -hmm. that. And yeah. I mean, I want our listeners to understand that most of our listeners are now just discovering um, raw feeding and fresh food and nutrition and treating mm -hmm. their animals with um, whole plant medicines and yeah. whole plant, whole foods. Um, mm -hmm. So they, what's crazy is that you've been talking about this for years and years yeah. and mm -hmm. years. So you must have seen, you must see this industry and be like, oh my gosh, you can walk into a pet shop, go to a freezer and buy raw food for your pet now. Well, <clears throat> I don't want to disappoint you. <laughs> no, I know what you're going to say and I'm glad you're going to say it. Okay. When the whole raw food movement began, I was opposed to it, and I still am. Uh, it was a mistake, I think. It's caused a lot of problems. And the reason for that is because there's so much emphasis on meat and animal products. Because what I had learned as I went along and studied nutrition and studied all, all the other factors I've mentioned, um, I, I gradually become aware of the problem of contamination of food 
And of, of course, you know, there's a certain, I think most people kind of think about food additives. You know, they'll think, oh, you know, the company added such and such and that's not so good and preservatives or whatever. But it went way beyond that, way beyond it. And, and, it's, and unfortunately, it's increasing every year. You know about you know about the and you know I'm sure my listeners have heard about it, but you know about the Hill Science Diet uh, recall because there was peanut barbitol in the food. Well, uh, that, yes, and and that wasn't just and, that and, company. I'm sure. And See, it, the thing oh, is, uh, and people don't even know. So I go, okay, no. I want you to think about how that got in that food, and they don't understand. So you have to go. They are using diseased animals that have been put down in your dog food. Like yeah, we can't even believe it. Or yeah. pick up your dog, go get your dog, your bag of dog food and read me the ingredients. And I get to stop them at the fifth ingredient and go, does any of that sound like food? Because it's not. No. Have you talked before in other, in other uh, presentations, have you talked about how um, uh, pet food is put together from 4D and that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah, we are. We are, uh, you know, I'm a cannabis person, but I am all about uh, fresh, real food, feeding mm -hmm. them. Um, the the uh, raw food companies that we recommend, I've personally been to their organic farms that the Amish run. Um, so I don't even eat meat myself. So I, uh, it's very important to me how the animals live and how they're treated, which I know that's something um, for you also, mm -hmm. which we're going to, we're going to go to a break, but when we come back, I want to talk more about it because nobody talks about this and you are, and I'm very happy. Talk, that talk about how they're treated or about how the, they're treated, what we're feeding them. And, you know, to me, should we talk more about the uh, chemicals in food? Yeah, okay. Absolutely. You know why? Because now you make me not look like I'm a crazy person when I sit here and talk about it. Because <laughs> I tell everybody when I made the change is when I realized how our animals are treated, what they, yeah. uh, what they're exposed to, how they're fed. Nothing is natural. So we're going to come right back. Talk about okay. getting out of the asylum when we come back. All right. All right. It's a dog's life. We'll be back once we take our sponsors out for a short walk. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Stop barking up the wrong tree. We're back with more of It's a Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino, only on Cannabis Radio. All right, we are back and I'm here with Dr. Richard Pickerin and we're talking about uh, eating the meats, eating, uh, first of all, our uh, factory farm, which I have, I feel like I always have to talk about factory farming because there's people who don't believe it exists, um, which blows my mind. And I'm telling you, it exists. I've seen it and I uh, have smelt it. 
uh, <laughs> I Me remember too. I dated a guy um, who went to is it University of Texas that's in Lubbock and landed in Lubbock, got out into the air, and I was like, what the heck is that smell? <laughs> yeah. It smells like death, piss, and shit. And that's mm -hmm. what it was. Mm-hmm. Factory farming is disgusting. Chickens, yeah. chickens alone. Why, why wouldn't we want chickens that are living happy, natural lives? I don't know about you. I want, I, I don't eat meat, but wouldn't you want to eat a chicken that's living a natural, happy life and not one that's shot up with hormones and antibiotics so, so that they can be shoved into a cage with 10 others and have their beaks cut off? Why? It's yeah. terrible. It is terrible, and it's um, the, uh, maybe a, a way to describe it is it's like a concentration camp. Mm -hmm. I worked in some, I, not all, not all of the areas, but I, I dealt with some feedlots and factory farms to a degree. But mostly, I during my veterinary school time, uh, one year I worked uh, to earn money for tuition. I worked at a chicken farm. Wow! And oh my gosh, you know you. <clears throat> these cages that were made, you've seen pictures of them, they're up off the ground. Where the, the late, so their eggs were rolled down to a little shelf there where you pick them up. That was part of my job was to go down a little tractor and pick up the eggs. And um, <clears throat> so these cages that were made are not very big, you know, for the chicken. I don't know. They're just, I don't remember exact size, but they're not real big. And, and they were made for a chicken to be in. Unfortunately, that's sad in itself, all its life sitting up there in that cage on a wire mesh, you know, with its poor feet on it. Can't mm -hmm. spread its wings, can't do anything. But the standard practice was, as I encountered, was maybe four chickens in that cage instead of one. And then sometimes one would die. And they, know they wouldn't take it out. It just lay down, it just collapsed at the bottom and that become the carpet. I, I couldn't believe the stuff I saw. It was oh, just unbe unbelievable. Along with, you know, people go, you know, oh, I don't understand, you know, how um, the disease gets spread, E. coli, salmonella. Well, guess what? If it's a, it's a chicken that you're eating, they just take those cages and stack them up on top of each other. And then they go get processed and oh. everything just comes down all over the chickens. It's just, it's a disgusting thing. It is inhumane. Yeah. Um, it does not serve our environment, our pets, nor us. So no. we're, I'm always going to talk about it. So thank you for talking about it. People also don't, don't understand that there's also like 80,000 different chemicals in our environment, in our personal care products, in our food. And that's in the human food. Before you think we people go, before care we go about there, our dogs? Before we go there, can I make another comment about the, whole, the, the, the animals being treated that way? Um, <clears throat> a lot of people don't really talk about this, but the animals that are the suffer most of their lives under very bad conditions are not healthy, of course. They're constantly stressed, as well as toxic effects, but I mean emotionally, they're stressed. Mm -hmm. And then when they are taken to the factory to be killed, then they're in a state of fear when they are slaughtered. Or they're in a state of fear when they are dying, even though they're supposedly slaughtered or not. They're still alive while they're being cut up. Right. That state 
of fear and they they affects on an emotional level is transmitted in the food that people eat from them or animals eat there's hormones but there's also i'm what i'm suggesting is there is also on a more energetic level the transfer of the fear and suffering we know and that have, stress and anxiety causes disease so mm -hmm. of course I've seen animals in my practice, I felt the, the, some that were more sensitive than others, and they would get into states of anxiety, and it would change with the change of diet. And I think they were simply picking up from the food, mm -hmm. the fear that's, that's in it. Yep. I so I just point that out because I think that is more, something people don't really think about, that they are going to be affected by the, not just the physical condition, but the emotional and energetic state of the food they're eating. And I ask people all the time, would you rather eat a happy, healthy chicken or one shoved in a cage that's lived in stress, stressful yeah, and yeah. filled with anxiety its whole entire life? And they always yeah. answer a happy, healthy one. And I'm like, OK, well, then that's where your money needs to go. Right. right. Um, and, you know, chicken all together. I'm like, just keep it up. Dogs don't need it. Don't give it to them. It's in everything. And, yeah. um, you know, so many dogs are sensitive to it and allergic to it. So what what do we do? You know, we dogs, you know, we know they're they're omnivores. Um, do do you think that we can get to a point where there's a healthy vegetarian diet that we could feed our dogs? Well, that was that was as you were pointing out earlier on, that's the emphasis of our last edition. Um, the <clears throat> there's several factors for that. What we just talked about is one, but it's not the major one for most people, the ethical. Uh, two other factors for my wife and I in emphasizing a plant-based diet for dogs is um, the health, which we will talk about in a moment, the health uh, consideration. And the other is uh, limited earth resources. Uh, they're cutting down the rainforest now to grow soybeans, to feed cattle. The whole process is totally inefficient and it can't be continued. It's just not going to be possible. So we're going to have to change whether we like it or not. So that's important, the resources part, that we need to stop using animals for food. Mm -hmm. But let's go back to the health part for a moment, because a lot of people relate to that. Um, <clears throat> as you pointed out, um, all the chemicals, actually the number today has been reported to be 100,000 chemicals approved for use. Wow. And, and I remember I, when I, uh, well, that's approved for use, right? By the government. Right. And I love to tell the, the story of you have to understand that if someone puts a chemical in a food or a personal care product or something and it causes, you know, someone to get sick or die and a complaint goes to the FDA, it, it takes a long time for that chemical to get removed from out. And then a lot of times they'll just change that chemical a little bit and it's the same chemical, but just changed and with a different name. And now we're back. And we have all of these chemicals that nobody, the EPA, the FDA, they can't even keep track of them, much less test everything to make sure it's safe. So you're saying there's 100,000 that are approved. How many do you think exist that we don't even, that aren't approved? Well, yes. Um, but what I want to emphasize, Angela, is that it's not possible for the FDA to um, bring about a situation where it's not in the food. Mm -hmm. it's, it's totally out of control. So let me explain that, if I may. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the chemicals, 100,000, 
first of all, the reason that they are being used and they're approved is that they have special qualities. Okay. So let's say you have something that's used for cleaning or you use as a, to kill insects or something, you know, or medicine, <clears throat> something to treat your yard. It doesn't matter. It's a, you know, some kind of chemical action. The reason that it's, that it's there and listed in this, what we're talking about and why it was approved is it's a synthetic chemical. It didn't exist on earth before. Right. Some scientists put it together and made a new chemical. The advantage being that it acts more effectively than something prior to that. The disadvantage being that there's no natural means to get rid of it. So they accumulate in the environment. Whereas it used to be natural substances would break down from bacteria and other things over eons of time, learned how to deal with these toxic substances from plants or whatever. Right. Our, our, nat our natural, um, our, our state of nature doesn't have the ability to get rid of these things. So what happens is they accumulate in the body over time. So the thousand chemicals, as far as any kind of health effects, less than 5% have ever been studied for that. Wow. Wow. That means there is no way for them to even detect the chemicals if you don't have a test for it. Right. And if they did, who's going to, how long would it take to test for 100,000 chemicals? Right. So if you have, say, your, your, your local sewage treatment plant with all the stuff that we've used ends up down in the drain, right? Mm -hmm. And it go, the water goes down. They test, I think, for 10 things. The other thousands, they don't test for because they have no way of doing it. Wow. You see? Yep. And it's not even possible. Just think about what would it take if we wanted to, we decided as a culture, it's really important. We're going to really find out what these substances do to our health. So, but we'd probably be kind of nasty about it and test it in animals rather than ourselves. Right. So let's say we test it in rats or something. What kind of a project would it be to test 100,000 chemicals? I hear you. You see how difficult it would be? I do. Uh, so we have long? to take... Yep, we have to take another break. And when we come back, I want to talk, we're going to, we're going to take this broad subject and we're going to go all the way down. And I want to talk about just putting these toxic chemicals on our dogs and cats and what that does. So when we come back, let's talk about that. It's a dog's life. We'll be back once we take our sponsors out for a short walk. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold. 
so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Stop barking up the wrong tree. We're back with more of It's a Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino, only on Cannabis Radio. Okay, we are back. I'm here with Dr. Richard Pitcairn, and we're talking about chemicals in our environment and our food and our personal care products. But I want people to understand that all of these things affect us and our pets. Um, you're going to, you hear me a lot say, uh, you know, beware of the, the pesticides in your yard, beware of the, the toxins in your carpet cleaner and your floor cleaners. Be, don't plug in those air fresheners or spray those air fresheners because they're bad for us, but for our pets, they're just, it's going all right into them. And then if you've got a bad diet on top of that, and then worst, you're applying pesticides, you're either feeding them pesticides or applying pesticides to their skin to keep fleas and ticks away, which we know that doesn't have to happen and it's out of control. I'm sure you've gotten to the point where you can almost look at a dog, someone go, I don't know what's wrong with my dog, send them a picture and you'll be like, oh, I know what's wrong with your dog. Are you using Brevecto? Are you using? Um, And they're always shocked and they're like, well, how do I control it? Um, so it's very interesting. Let's talk just a little bit about that because I really want pet owners to really use common sense. If you're reading something and it says, do not get on your skin, do not uh, touch the dog, do not wash the dog. Um, and then God forbid you reach those side effects. You would never use it. You hug your dog. You love on your dog. You know, those things are being put all over the place. So Let's talk a little bit about these unnecessary pesticides we put on our dogs and what effect that well, has. I, I have an interesting story about that. I can't remember the name of the product uh, quite some years ago. The very first one that came out that you could put it on the skin of your dog and it would kill fleas, right? For 30 you know what days. I mean? Yeah. And it was spread all of it by the chemical was such that it would spread over the entire surface of the body. Mm-hmm. Okay. So <clears throat> it was new to me and I didn't understand it. I called the company and talk to the person there about it, explain to me more what it does. And I said, uh, it says that you're supposed to wear gloves when you apply it, right? And it goes, and then it goes over your entire dog. So what happens then later your child hugs the dog? Does it get on your child and go over the entire child? And the response was, we don't know, we don't have to test for that. It's not intended for humans. Well, there you go, folks. Wow, that's a good story. A bad one, but a really good one. And I'm going to share it a million times. (laughs) So yeah, it's kind of shocking. So they, the rules are so limited, they only have to test what it's going to go on to. But obviously, it's going to get all over you and your your child and whatever else contacts the dog. And, and then what are the health effects? They wouldn't have tested. I don't think they probably would have tested it in dogs very much, maybe in rats or something. But, you know, they're not the same. And so, um, you know, those kind of chemicals, it's just an unknown. You're putting a poison on them and you don't know what it's going to do, really. And I'd say most, wouldn't you think that, would you agree that most veterinarians, if you go in with, with a dog that's been treated that way, wouldn't really be looking at that very much, considering that as a toxic, could be why the animal's sick? Nope, I don't, they don't. I don't see that they do. They don't pay a lot of attention to it. 
No, they're, I, I mean, just, usually they're the one prescribing it, you know, whatever it is. Well, that too, yeah. But I mean, it just doesn't. I mean, anywhere. now there's, you know, you take one pill and it takes care of everything, you know, yeah, yeah. dick, heartworm, everything. Yeah, um, yeah. That scares me. I don't, you know, but what people need to know is that there's always a natural remedy and fleas and ticks are terrible. I, you know, I would go 10 years without anything and then I have an outbreak. And the worst part about it is that a lot of the meds here in Florida, and I think it's happening in Texas right now, the fleas and ticks don't respond to the pesticide. So now you've put this pesticide in them or on them, and now you still have fleas and ticks. And now you're going to go see your vet and they're going to give you a different pesticide. So now you've got all kinds of a cocktail in there. Now your dog's losing its hair. It has allergies. You know, it's got diarrhea. And then, oh, you're dealing with an old dog. And now we've got cancer. That over years and years, they can't get fresh air. They're being, you know, just covered in toxins. So this is something you can do. And it ain't easy. But I found these. The amber collars, uh -huh. they keep fleas and ticks completely off from all 10 of my dogs. Oh, what are they Florida. made of? Amber, Baltic amber. Wow, that's cool. Because I was like, I'm going to try every natural thing. And first of all, if you have a healthy dog with a healthy immune system, fleas and ticks aren't even um, attracted to them. But I do have some dogs, like for instance, that the, the fleas will bite and leave. They don't ever stay on her. You'll never find them, but she's allergic. So she loses hair, becomes pink and whatever. And now this keeps them off. Oh, excellent. Good to know. And again, it's like all everything else. It's the natural terpenes in it that keep it, keep uh -huh, the, uh -huh. keep them away. And then it also gives off a slight electrical charge and they, you know, wow. the dogs don't like that easy. So well, that's either. cool. Yeah. So I feel like that was my only thing left on what to discover, but yeah. What would you tell, what do you suggest to, um, to pet parents for fleas and ticks? Well, I'm not, I'm not in practice anymore, but when I, you know, would deal with that, I would emphasize nutrition a lot Good. and then yeah. would use homeopathy as indicated. Um, <clears throat> like you were indicating a little bit ago in nature, Fleas and, and, and ticks and lice are, um, their role in life is to affect primarily those that are not healthy. Those animals they encounter that are not healthy. That's where they really do well. The real healthy ones might have some on them, but they throw them off pretty easily. and don't react so much to it. <clears throat> so it's usually the animals that aren't in very good health. And that what we're talking about are reasons for that. The food, chemicals in the food they're eating. <coughs> Excuse me. and. Uh, <clears throat> you know the vaccines that they've received that affect their immune system and they don't and they're not functioning real well now in that regard so these are all factors well i'm um it's so nice to hear you talk about the immune system and talk about how you've been looking at the immune system for how you know years and years um you know you watch it in nature i watch animals you know, get picked up by a hawk or an owl and get dropped and they don't go to the vet. They don't take any antibiotics. They don't take oh. any painkillers. Somehow 
their, you know, whether it's their endocannabinoid system that helps all the other systems go, all right, we got a problem. Let's deal with this <laughs> or what it is. But yeah. think about that. So we, they have this natural ability to heal themselves. If we take care of that gut microbiome and we take care of their immune system, they will be able to fight off everything from fleas to disease. Sure. And if you want to learn more about that, and thank you so much for doing a fourth edition of your book and updating it. Um, I'm sure it was upsetting, but I'm glad you did it because we have to, we, we live in a toxic world and if we don't want to live in this toxic world. We need to put our money in the right place so that we're not supporting um, people who are making this world so toxic. Could I say more about that? Yeah. Do we have time? Uh-huh. Okay. Um, yeah. I want to just add this to the, just the, about the book. Um, The, the we didn't have time to go into it, but the, the, the chemicals that are that are accumulating our bodies are not just from the food, they're from the environment, from the right. air and the soil and the water. And there's hundreds of them. And so there's this thing called um, food chain, you probably talked about, bioaccumulation is another term, where it builds up as you go up. And so animal flesh has the highest levels, toxic levels. And so if you're eating an animal, your dog's eating another animal, it's going to get a pretty good dose of it. Mm -hmm. So I, I looked at this quite a bit, you know, about how to, you know, you have different ideas like, well, maybe, maybe we can use farm raised, organically raised animals and so on, you know, which probably has lower amounts, but they're not free of it. That's important to know. Right. They're finding these chemicals on wildlife. Okay. They're finding so, it in, in babies' umbilical cords. Yeah, and baby umbilical cords. Yeah, the babies that, that have, when they test the blood of newborns from the umbilical cord, they have over 300 chemicals in their bodies now. Well, there's been a test a few years ago, three or four years ago, in dogs and cats, they found the same thing, higher, yep. even higher levels. I'm sure. So, so that's a really big factor. So anyway, uh, my way of trying to deal with this, what can I say? You know, there's, there's uh, the only solution I could think of that made any sense at all was to try to keep the dose of these chemicals as low as possible. I don't, it doesn't work to try to detoxify because the mechanisms aren't there to do that. It just accumulates. When you say detoxify, you're asking, you're basically stimulating the body to do it. But if the body hasn't worked out a mechanism, it just stores it in the tissues, you see? Wow, right. that makes sense? And there's no way to get it out of the tissues? There's no way to get it out because the body has to do it. And if the body doesn't know how to deal with that chemical because it's never dealt with it before, wow. then it has to store it. So, so anyway, I asked the question, you know, what, what could, if it doesn't work to detoxify them, it doesn't work to give them, it's, it's not enough to give them some kind of a treatment that helps relieve the symptoms because the chemicals are still there, right? Mm -hmm. the causes the cause yeah so the only thing i could think of was reduce the dose have less of it come into your dog and the only way you can have less of it coming to your dog is not to feed them animal tissue not feed so what, do you feed, and, what so what do you feed them instead you feed them a plant-based recipe you have one oh in our book what so his Maybe. book is called the complete guide to natural health the fourth edition is out right now. You can get it on Amazon. It's an amazing read. I'm so excited that you update it. I love that. I hate when I like 
get a good book and I'm like, wait a minute, but there is something now, or this is old. So I really appreciate that. Also, if you really want to get into homeopathy, here we go. We got another book from Wendy that you uh, helped her out on. Whoops, hit my camera. But thank you so much for taking the time. Um, people can find you, uh, can find your book and your website. Do we have a website? Well, if you're a vet, he's got the uh, Karen Institute of Veterinary Homeopath. Oh my God. Homeopathy. Homeopathy. You can't um, take, you can't take uh, that treatment unless you can pronounce it. I, I won't. Um, and that's a wonderful study. I know we, I mean, I would love to spend another time talking all about that because I know it's confusing, but you know, it's the same, same concept of whole plant, whole food, treating the immune system, treating the animal as an individual and finding out what specifically they need. So yeah. Thank you for doing everything you do. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's been an honor to have you on. I hope I could talk to you again sometime. Everyone buy the book and you take care. Yeah, thank you so much, Angela. Bye-bye. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.